Welcome to the Joel Beasley Tech and Science Podcast. Can you just tell me real quick in like a 30 second sound bite? Because I know you. Who are you? What do you do? And what is QTS Data Centers? Yeah, so appreciate it. So let's back up. So a data center is where all this data that we're talking about on Earth lives. And whether it's uh, an Amazon, Apple, uh, Meta, whoever, they have their own building. Or it's an operator like um, QTS. We operate... Uh, what we would call mega data centers or hyperscale data centers. So data centers of a few hundred thousand to millions of square feet around the globe that house um, this digital infrastructure of the, of the world. The idea is the whole world, every song probably you listen to or DNA storage or whatever, they live in a data center somewhere. So we build that digital infrastructure. Yeah, I, I love it. Hi, Dave. My name is Joel Beasley. And <laughs> how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? Amazing. Yesterday, Atlas, our seven-month-old son, said Uh mama. So family's super excited right now. Yeah. You know, those moments, my children are about to be 20 in just a couple weeks, 22 and 24. I've been married 36 years. And what's really cool about you telling that story is sometimes when you get caught up in the just life, just the chaos of life, you forget these um, these moments of joy and uh, levity and just you know heart level valuable things, and it's great to, when you when you experience it through other people or whatever our traditions are to help remind us of that and stay connected and grounded on those things. It's just uh, it's priceless. It's been incredibly helpful dealing with. The thoughts of the AI and the GPTs and the rate at yeah. which our technology is advancing. And of course, there's all a huge spectrum of people and their interpretations of it, but it's definitely growing faster. And it's something that I find myself thinking about more. And then what allows me to stay grounded in the chaos that is the world is my family. And mm-hmm. well, of course, my family and God and, and keeping those things uh, up front and Whenever I feel like I'm out of control or that technology is going out of control, I think, okay, well, what can I focus on? Well, I can be a better right. dad. I can be a better husband. I can be a better person in my community. And so those are the things that it's like the, uh, the positive to the negative of the chaos. Yeah. And the chaos has always been there. You know, I remember reading something not long ago about the most terrifying thing to ancient man was the ocean. Ancient civilization, not, not forests, not the mountaintop, not whatever. Um, to to leave shore, or certainly to leave sight of land, um, was to risk everything. Remember the ships, whether in Asia or in the um, Africa or Middle East or whatever, in ancient time, they just weren't equipped to navigate um, and handle the the consequences of ocean and ocean currents, and so that it was always it's always a chaos symbol in ancient literature because you just don't know, you know, and, and one of the things with some of the technology as exciting as it is, cause I'm an optimist, a tech optimist, there is this also on the fringes of it, this um, chaos. And we don't, you know, here we are, what, 12, 15 years into smartphones. And uh, certainly in my life is awesome as that, 
tool has been, and it has been spectacularly awesome, there's all kinds of consequences and chaos coming out of it because we're early adapters. And until we get some time with the tools that, that come into our lives and learn how to adjust, um, we've got to deal, unfortunately, with a lot of the the byproducts of the chaos that come with it. And that, that sometimes that's a, that's a pretty hard learning experience. What do you think about Wozniak and Elon Musk idea to put a hold on it for six months? If it would work, I think it's like, like any proposed idea to deal with chaos in our life, whether it's um, the tragedy of a shooting, it's the people exploiting a tax code, um, kids racing in the street, artificial, like whatever, choose the point in time in history or in our culture where there is, um, there's a consequence or a potential unattended consequence going on around us. And we feel the need as a community to say, hold on, how do we reconcile this and give ourselves some guardrails? You know, most of our systems of government and thinking are at most a thousand years old. Most of them are, are, you know, exponentially shorter than that. And we've got these tools. And I know you've heard this said before many times. I'm sure it's, it's not in my original idea. I would cite the source if I could remember it. But it's we've got these tools that give us godlike power without empathy or the knowing of what all the consequences of these things could be. So if some of the very smartest people around us who I really respect what they've done are saying, look, we've seen the things that you haven't seen, and we're suggesting we start po- pumping the brakes before we get to that turn. I listen to them. I just don't know. You start pumping the brake. I start pumping the brake. The dude five cars back does it and just plows into all of us. And yeah. so is it we take that chance? I don't know. I don't. I just don't see that's just here in the States. I don't see that in a geopolitical sense being slowed down. And in the new world, that is the competitive landscape is how you leverage these tools to serve your interests, whether they are um, corporate or national, H- how we, how we bring that to bear in a way that makes sense. I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer to it. I'm not opposed to it, but I haven't yet seen the answer to that. I think it's the equivalent of me saying, okay, everybody, there's tons of gold over here in this specific area of the world. Right. Don't go there. Don't go there. Wait six months. Us billionaires are going to try to figure out what to do. And then we'll tell you, but don't go get that gold, even though you can. Right. Here's the consequences to the environment if we do unregulated sorting and sifting and blast mining and whatever. And it's... uh, um, even if we even if we just treated it face value and believe that it is altruistic and it is not for exploitive, and I'm not accusing those two gentlemen of any of those things. I think they're remarkable technologists. But it's just human nature is, and that's just within our own communities that we have some influence or certainly we're part of outside of that influence. I mean, it is just a, um, it's a, it, there's a race, human beings being human beings, we, we invent we explore, we to our detriment many times, but we continuously do these things. And so I just don't think it's doable. I mean, at, at the end of the day, I just don't think it's doable. Yeah, and I think they're great people. Honestly, when I first saw it, I said, oh, they're doing this. Well, I think that they're very aware that it won't work, but right. I think that they're doing it to 
say that they did everything they can do. Those are at least Musk. I don't know. Wozniak isn't in the media enough for me to know him through hundreds of hours right. of interviews, but you can pick up enough on Musk through his raw interviews to, to understand that this guy thinks like he wants the best for humanity. And I could see that he's, he's got the mindset of, well, we got to do whatever we can do. So if signing this letter is potentially going to help something, then, then why not? Because, you know, he, he's got, I don't know if you've read his autobiographies and, and have followed him for a while, but he went around before he created OpenAI, before he helped fund OpenAI. Mm-hmm. And he tried to talk to governments. He went on panels, he went to the United States government, he went internationally, and he tried to say, like, we need to be aware of this, we need to handle this, we need to put guardrails in place. So this was a while ago, right? Sure. And they just kind of laughed it off. And when he saw that happening, he's like, all right, that's why he threw a ton of money at OpenAI. He's like, well, if we're going to have it, if the genie's right. coming out of the bottle, it might as well be open and free to everybody. And then right. look what happened there. Now that's not open. Yeah. It, look, the whole world's talking about it. I, I just, I don't even know why the interwebs did this for me. But last night, um, I came across this um, interview of all people, um, Piers Morgan and Richard Dawkins. <laughs> not, 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 no, I would not normally land there. I thought it was actually a very interesting conversation. And one of the things they talked to talked about was the risk of AI getting sentience and, and then, and then what happens and Dawkins, uh, well, he's kind of famous as a, um, what they call one of the modern atheists. He's a biologist. He's a, he's a critical thinker. I may not agree with him on every perspective, but he is a critical thinker. I, I listen to, um, things that he has to say, whether I agree or disagree on all of them, I, I listened to him. And it was a very, I thought it was a very interesting conversation. It's not the only time I've heard this. In fact, I've heard this many, many times. This, the consequence of general AI getting sentience or some other thing, I, I just, you know, I'm not an artificial intelligence expert. I don't, I don't live in this world. I have conversations with people in this world. I don't think it's a, it's a near-term thing. But that doesn't mean that in narrow AI and specific applications of AI that um, they cannot be weaponized and leveraged for not just for human flourishing, but for uh, to the de- uh, detriment of you know, whatever community it's being pointed at. I, I just think that there's a um, kind of like when we invented, whether it's gunpowder or whatever, do you, do you say, hold on, slow down, let's figure out what we're doing with this thing. How do we store it? How do we make it? How do we transport it? How do we use it responsibly? In the meantime, the people three counties away or across, you know, across the canal are building it like crazy and it makes you vulnerable. And there are consequences as we learn throughout that. But uh, I, I just uh, I don't think anything like sentience or really generally I is anywhere near. Um, nobody thinks, seems to think that anyway but certainly some of these applications, but it is the new arms race. I mean, it's for sure the new arms race, one of many. Yeah, and I had seen someone, I think they were previously on the show talking about AI, but they referenced back on LinkedIn to when we created you know, nuclear materials, right? There right. was immediately thing guardrails put in place. The difference I see here is that, well, it's not like everybody has the ingredients in their pantry to create nuclear bombs. Right. And so when you want to put up guardrails, it's going to be a lot easier than putting up guardrails on a technology everybody already has the ingredients for. Yeah. Right? It's it's super difficult. On sentience, I think we kind, we disagree, but we don't. So I'll, mm. I'll talk about this one. This will be fun. Yeah. When I was hearing you talk, 
was thinking, okay, maybe we put too much emphasis on the concept of sentience. Like, yeah. This, and the reason is, is because it's whether it is yes or no to whatever definition we have of is it sentient, that doesn't stop it from doing all 99% of the things a sentient person can do. Right. Right. I've said multiple times that chat GPT is smarter than people I used to employ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And it's more consistent sure. and it's more reliable and it can learn from its mistakes and um, watching three to go to four and then four to go to five. I, I might've gotten bad information and Josh, you can fact check this in real time, but I believe OpenAI said five was going to be uh, considered AGI. So Josh, fact check that before we air it. But uh, that's what I th- that's what I thought OpenAI said. Um, hmm. And my problem here is with uh, the definition of it, because hmm. ultimately it's a tool, and you could take the you can write malware with it, right? You can do all these things, and so I'm not necessarily concerned about it instructing itself, right? Because that's going to be a little bit farther in the future. But also, I haven't gotten to run the experiment where I tell it to instruct itself. And if I tell it to instruct itself on various things, if I say, go have, you know, pick a human profile, like pick, pick a human that's famous, and I want you to mimic them and their actions and replicate it and do the be-, be the best version of them that you can be and take any action necessary to do that, it would go ahead and it would fire off based on its capabilities. Now, right now they're opening up the plugin store so you can do, you're going to start to be able to do more things with it by telling it to go places and things like that. But right. it's fairly, benign in the sense that it's at least GPT 3.5 on OpenAI is just trained on the set of data. You can't actually go perform an exterior action from what I understand today. Uh, But the plugin store is coming and it will be able to do things like that. So I just think to myself, you know, the most important thing is, is what can you do with it? Josh, is that it? Yeah, so nothing for sure, but here's an article that's speculating that GPT 5 will have Essentially, uh, artificial general intelligence yeah. it says right here, 100 times more parameters than GPT-3. 175 billion parameters. So pretty massive. That's crazy. Now, so so how, how do we have the conversation about this, the concept of it having its own sentience, being able to do its own bidding versus me just telling it to do something because we know it can emulate people and authors and things like that and telling it to go off and do... Does that matter at that point? Are we really going to squabble over that small point of if I go tell it to do something versus uh, it just deciding to do something on its own. Is that that big of a deal or no? Oh yeah, I think it is a big deal. And and you point out something that um, I probably should have said and I uh, it didn't even occur to me while I was saying it. The, the When they talk about, is it sentience or sentience? I don't know. That's what I, I don't know. Whatever, whichever one it is, that it was self-replicating. I didn't add that part. So it's the ability oh. to not just think in the way that we might um i had sergey pliss on here he's a local genius academic it's a neural network um expert and he had to sort of correct me in my thinking about neural networks in that um you know it's modeled after the brain he's like yeah but it's still a computer still for all of our teaching doesn't think like a human it looks like it because the output is this and it has an infrastructure that looks like this but it, but it still doesn't. Um, but anyway, so self-replicating artificial intelligence that can say to itself, hey, who do I want to teach and why do I do it? Because it's, it's making its own decisions. Um, you know, some version of the worst 
Isaac Asimov or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, great 50s and 60s sci-fi doom and gloom um, out there. But to your point, look at it. Um, when I look at a tool like ChatGPT, which, by the way, I'm sure you've played with a lot. I was mm-hmm. playing with it for a little while. I loved it. And then the world found out about it. Not just it, but all the various open AI tools are so much fun. Um, I remember when it shocked me when I got Dolly to make, I can't even remember what my description was now, but it gave me four or five choices. And one of them I liked so much. I wanted to find somebody to make that for me so I could frame it and put it in my house. Like I, like the art that it made, the image that it would make just evoked so many uh, emotional responses in me. I thought it was amazing. Just absolutely beautiful. And, and, um, this thing guessing, trying to follow my direction created it. I just thought that was remarkable. It's only going to get better and more interesting as time goes on. But on this topic, I just, uh, we just don't know what we don't know. What, as we're figuring out, and I, you know, it's all guess for me. I listen to, I have lots of conversations over the years, over the last year with people that either use these tools are somehow involved in maybe not open AI, but uh, Brian McGurko from Georgia Tech, who leads uh, the creative discovery group and a computer science and has been involved in some world like this through tech for a while. They're super excited and super nerded out and they see these benefits on how it's going to help humanity, how it helps their students. And and in their view, it's nowhere near as, uh, at least in the short term, the consequences of these tools are nowhere near as powerful as the smartphone's impact on lear- learning. That's been a pretty, um, uh, in many ways, negative impact in learning and in just in, you know, teenager, student uh, psyche and all these other things, mental health. So where we go with this, I don't know. But I, I feel like um, certainly we've got to have, you know, as we... As we work on it, we need to have parameters and as we're disseminating information on how it's helping or harming us get better. But, but there are people, there are nations in the world, like when I was, uh, that don't have those parameters, that, that don't have those guardrails. When I was messing with GPT the other day, I wanted it to, um, I can't remember the question, but I asked some question about, hey, what's your opinion about this? Well, as a, you know, as a model, uh, you know, I can't make speculation on those kinds of things. That's beyond my purview and my data is too old. You know, there are tools around the world that don't have those checks on them, right? That they, they're, just, they're just going and they're offering up information and um, hypothesis and whatever. That's, a, that's an imposition that we've applied here through the, the masters at OpenAI. Oh, you can get around so, it super easy. Yeah, don't tell me that because I'll go down oh, yeah. that. Oh, yeah. All right, here's, here, I'll leave you. There's 10,000 things I could tell you. I'll leave you with one. You can okay. tell it to act like something. To get around it. So if I ask you, I say, okay, what's your views on A, B, or C? It's, oh, I don't have views. I'm a language model, generic, generic, right. generic. If you say, act like the best marketer in the world, and right. then answer this question, it'll do it. Wow. Yeah, prompting is the new skill. So we actually yeah. used it. We currently recognize it as $100,000 a year in savings to our current business model. Oh, right I believe it. Yeah, for 20 bucks a month. We you know, got the premium, so it's always available because right. we start to rely on it. But yeah, it to me, I've I've been spending a lot of time in Chat GPT, and I can't see how. I mean, I think what most people think will be here in five years will be here within the year. I I could see that. So many times we t- we 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 apply, and I don't know why we do this, but we 
well, if it took me this long to get from here to here, then I'm going to apply some algorithm or some multiplier of that to get to the next leg. I just don't think that. I rem- I'm sure you know this. Five years ago, it was all the rage for everybody to say, in the last year, more data has been created in this last year than in the history of the world. We don't even say that anymore. Like yeah. this month, more data has been created. In, in the data center business that I'm in, we're just watching this. What we thought was a hockey stick before, in terms of data creation, data manipulation, it wasn't even a barely a blip, it feels like. Now it is full-on Atlas V, Elon Musk era rocket, straight up in just data con- data creation, which means then energy consumption, resource consumption, uh, fiber connectivity, like all of these ancillary, all this digital infrastructure that has to support that. And there's no way it's sustainable. Like we, there's just not enough material in the next 10 or 15 years that we know of today to build out the infrastructure, much less the employees or the whatever to build that out. Because it's once we get a taste of this thing, to your point about chat GPT, maybe we can come and tease this out a little bit more later. But this is, I just discovered this last week. Somebody kind of told me what they were experimenting with. And when I got back here, I started messing with it. So I've, I've got to host um, Dan Kokotov, who's uh, one of the founders at Rev AI. Okay. I've messed with Rev AI, which is a great, um, uh, talking to text uh, tool. And I've messed with Otter. I don't know if you're familiar with Otter AI. And here's what I do. I take my recordings. So you take this recording that we're going to make today and I upload it to Otter, for example. Otter ingests it and runs through and timestamps everything. Now I have to go through, I'd say it's probably 70% accurate. You may use a similar tool. It timestamps who's it, it identifies the voices. And so I have to yeah. tell it that's me and that's Joel. But once I do that, it's got it for the rest. And there, every now and then it'll miss because of an accent or the quality of the recording, it'll miss a word. But basically it does this really cool transcript. Then I take the transcript to chat GPT mm-hmm. and say, summarize this transcript of the conversation between me and Joel. And it can't handle all of the words yet. GPT uh, um, four uh, will should be able to do many more thousands of words. Our conversations at an hour and a half tend to be about fifteen to eighteen thousand words, somewhere in that era area. But you can then to, so what it does is it's not. I don't feel like I'm cheating. It's not teaching me anything new. But instead of manually listening, re-listening to my conversation, time stamping it, summarizing it, Otter does this for me in uh, 20 minutes. And then I, I break it up into bite-sized chunks for ChatGPT and go to it and say, take this grant transcript between me and Joel and summarize this section. And when I'm done with it, I have, I don't know, five of those because it'll do about 3,000 words at a time. Then I take that, put that back into ChatGPT because it can't take all 16,000 words, but it can take this summary which is now about 2,500 words, summarize this summary. And it'll, it's really interesting how sometimes it hears things that I didn't hear in the conversation because it might have been a week ago or three weeks ago or there was a lot going on because I was really concentrating. For all of these reasons, these tools are amazing. I was part of the conversation. I researched just like you do before you have your guests coming on, what we're going to talk about. But what this tool does is it helps me to organize my thoughts on what are the, th- the snippets out of this, it saves me so much time to your point about saving revenue or costs in your business. 
and it helps to distill it for me. Now, it's not telling me which of these 12 points or whatever are valuable. I decide that. But it is absolutely a purpose fit, these tools to uh, accomplish that for me. I, I cannot wait to uh, see how these get smarter and help me to get better at this post-production. It's, it's amazing. Have you seen the plugins yet? No. Oh. I haven't even messed with them yet. Oh man, they did. They got with some companies earlier and did, I think it was uh, like an Expedia. They, they got it with a couple companies and an Amazon. And you can just tell ChatGPT, be like, hey, book me the best possible flight one way to this place. And it'll come back and just say to you, oh, we've got this at this time. It's this price. Do you want me to proceed? Said, yep, proceed. And then purchase it. And that's, it's, yeah. it's going to make, I tell, I, the way I think about it is like this. It just made everybody super rich in the following way. Yeah. Very wealthy people have the ability to go hire the best experts in the world. Sure. And bring them to them and give them problems and hear them and get this panel together and figure things out through consultants. And they have these abilities to understand markets. They have these abilities to understand products and opportunities. We just gave that to the 13 year old kid in Pakistan. Which right. is beautiful because right. now we're going to get better things faster. And so here's the premise of my, or the, the basis of my argument for why it'll come way faster than most people know is, is distilled in the, in the following short story. Okay. Let's say that you have this girl named Ari, I think her name is Ariana, but she was the resurrecting woolly mammoths. Okay. Mm-hmm. Using DNA to resurrect woolly mammoths. Well, that's a, that's a small community. There's a, there's, there's a lot of research in different countries and different languages mm-hmm. around all the different areas of research and knowledge you would need to have. And so you, you get these bright people together, whoever has the most money to bring the brightest people together to understand the research and interpret it and t- start building on top of it because they're trying to solve a problem. How do I get the DNA to do this? Or how do I get the system to do that? And so right. they, there's this big time delay in, in gathering that information or finding these experts and coming to this research. Well, now... I can take every piece of research ever in existence, put it into a custom fine-tuned model, and then talk to it like it's a like it's a person in my lab. Right. And we can all do that immediately overnight. It can happen right now today. You can take all right. the cancer information in the entire world, the entire corpus of cancer information text and every radiograph in the entire world, and put it into a go boot up a model. Put into the model, and then you can say, "Act like a act like House from <laughs> right. the the show." And then I've got questions for you now. And then you ask the questions, and it'll, based off of all of that knowledge, it'll give you the best answers it could possibly give you. Now, is it perfect? No, I'm, I wouldn't say anything's perfect. But right. is it ninety percent there? Ninety nine percent there? Yeah. And what that'll do is it'll allow in every little crevice of our society, in every complex problem we're trying to solve, from quantum computing issues to doing things with our DNA to finance, all these areas will start progressing so incredibly fast because no longer will like these experts be financially or time-wise dependent. Like You can have the world's best expert on this thing interacting with you virtually immediately and that'll allow you to make progress and innovate so much faster than ever before yeah i i love the potential of it i don't disagree i where i catch myself is um so let's just first talk about what in the areas that i agree and i just think it could be so remarkable imagine when we have this thing um so i'm i'm imagining the best version of this where it is uh benevolent, 
um, where, you know, it's, it, it, one of the things I do like from chat GPT is it will say, Hey, look here, here's what I think the benefits of this thing are. It's obviously that it's obvious that it's been told to do that. Here's what I think the benefits are, but there are people who don't agree with this assessment. And this is where they would think the, the, the these areas are negatives and here's why. So I, I appreciate that. And I like to see that. I love the idea of whether it's in healthcare or whatever, but how cool would it be that says, Hey, look, we've, we've uploaded your DNA profile through blockchain or whatever mechanism it's secure. Nobody else can exploit it. It's, you know, so somehow we've got quantum in, encryption around it and it's, it's uh, protected. And so this is the best version of this. And so it feeds, it says, Hey, look, your profile is you love savory foods and you love um, like this. These are the things. Do you agree? Is, is this how you like to eat and how you move? And Yeah. Well, your DNA says your risk profile for these diseases or these circumstances looks like this. So what we're going to do is we're going to feed to your cooking unit, whatever it is. We've got all the amino acids over here to assemble the peptides and the things we need to make food for you that satisfies your palate, that satisfies you visually, that 3D print this food. It's amazing. But the combinatorial medicine underneath it is super healthy, tuned um, for your body type, however, however you are, I'm Scots, Irish, German, uh, and a little bit of other mutt stuff in there. And I'm just today coming back from my doctorate. I'm like, look, I'm pushing 300 pounds. I had lost 30 pounds. My fighting weight is about 220 because just of my frame. And here it is over all these years, I've gained all this weight again. And it's just this ongoing battle. Whereas my neighbor has lost about 120 pounds in the last couple of years, just eating a certain way and really, um, really admired and no extra surgery, nothing crazy like that. I'm like, man, I want that. So to be able to take these tools and say, Hey, look, when you get up in the morning, here's your food, here's your beverage. And it's not cardboard. Like you love it. It satisfies you emotionally and in every way. And at the same time, the microorganisms in it are just working in concert with your genetic code to help you realize the best version of you. Like it in every way, I love the potential. The disaster of it is, like Dr. Wolpe, who I had on here a year or so ago, was saying he's a bioethicist at um, Emory, former chief uh, ethics or director of ethics at NASA. He said, man, these are all great things. and I'm very pro AI. But one of the consequences of tools like that now is I hate the West or I hate some community. And I sit there and ask it, how do I create a bioweapon? that bypasses these things, that does this, that has these markers, that targets these kind of people, that like, how do I, how do I have it help me in my mad scientist world to do in my little bitty lab in the back of my house in the same way that people have music studios now that can make world-class music that you needed a studio for 20 years ago. They can now do this bio stuff. Those are sort of the, the bookends of the potential of this stuff. And I'm not advocating that we stop well, he's pursuing not it and investing yeah. in it. I think the potential is just amazing, but the risk of it is pretty spectacular as well. And that's the world that we're living in. Well, it's already here. Like yeah, you can already well, do that. Um, yeah. The, 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 what's happening right now is that, I mean, what they released this two, two or three months ago to the general public got to the an idea, public, yeah. started understanding what language models are. 
and Josh can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe GPT, chat GPT as we know it through OpenAI mm-hmm. is like a 10%. It's like the, the actual larger parent, uh, a Da Vinci model. It's like a 10% offshoot of that tuned for conversational interfaces. So it's like this dumbed down version of the parent model that's specifically tuned for human conversation. Yeah. Well, the parent models, you can just, Here's the one thing that's, there's a couple things that are stopping people that are making it difficult. The first thing is if I want to boot up my own, my own model, Uh um, it's going to cost me about, I think it was $878 a month was the cheapest I could get it booted up because I needed enough storage. I think I need 48 gigs of memory. What do you mean your own model? Like you would download the data sets onto some infrastructure and then you don't share it with anybody, just you querying it? Yeah, yeah. ChatGPT is a bunch of rules on top of this right, model. You don't. Right. You can just go get the model, and you can tell it to build you a bomb. You can do whatever you want with it. Right. Um, but the one of the things that's is is hard about that currently is well, all the people that are serving it up as a service are putting guardrails in place, right? right? Like OpenAI and Bing and all that. Right. But you can, if you have the money, you can go download it, launch it, and then interact with it and fine tune it however you want. You can do whatever you want with it. Right. So it, it, it's not accessible to the 13-year-old in Pakistan because I don't believe that they have. Right. <laughs> I don't believe any 13-year-old has the $870 right. or whatever to float it. Right. Um, but yeah, you, you can do it. I've spent a lot of time figuring it out on my own because I wanted what I wanted, Dave, and I talked to... I talked to some some CTO about it because they were experimenting it with it on their like uh, office of the CTO team. But right. I wanted this ability to go click a button and have my own instance that is just the raw thing booted, the raw open source thing booted up, and I could do whatever I want with it. Right. That it actually took me about two weeks of researching before I figured out how to actually do it. And after I figured out how to actually do it, as you know, with these endeavors, you you start to to learn the the terminology and you can ask better questions. Right. Well. I, there is one service out there that'll actually launch it for you. You just plug in your API credentials for mm-hmm. Amazon or Microsoft or whatever server company. It gets the right amount of server size and then it'll actually install it for you, hook it up with HTTP so you can just talk directly to it if you want. And and so I found one service that does that, but all the other services you just have to get your own server and go through the whole building process of it on your own. And so this stuff exists today it's going to become more accessible. People are going to figure out how to get this thing to boot up on less memory. It's going to right. become more efficient and it's going to become more widely accessible. So we do have a little period of gap where it's not as accessible to people. Right. Uh, but as far as sitting there in a bio lab trying to get it to help you build uh, you know, a nefarious device, I believe that it's there today and you can do it right now. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And that, I mean, that's all these tools. And so it's... Um, you know, to, to where we sort of started with this, do we have, regardless of their their status as, you know, well status or their position as scientists, do we, do we try to slow these things down? I, I just don't think that that's, that geopolitically, there's any way to do it. I mean, why would you? It reminds me of some uh, conversation I heard a while ago talking about sustainable energy use and how parts of the world are just trying to get out of poverty. Like they're not thinking about reducing carbon. They're not reducing, not the population. Like this is just not a conversation for them. It is, how do my children have a reasonable shot at living into their 70s and 80s that are not going to get consumed by diseases that the West has solved uh, a century before? 
And, and so we're fighting to get out of that. And what that requires then is cheap raw energy and it requires these cheap resources. And so um, it's not very energy and all these other things. And so their point was it will, their behavior is not going to, they're not going to behave in the way that um, some of these folks that are postulating want them to because they're trying to solve a different kind of problem. And so I think geopolitically with these tools, they're, they're, uh, they don't have any of the uh, filters applied to them. They don't have any of these other things, whether, whether they are uh, you know, enemies of, of ours or our civilization or way of life or not. Whatever it is, they're human beings being human beings. We're going to try to, how do I exploit these tools to build for myself and the people that I love the best future possible? And sometimes that's at a consequence of other, other tribes. I mean, that's just been human nature. I'm not advocating for that. I think the best version of humanity is when we, uh, we adopt a larger than our own little narrow rules. We adopt for civilization, the self-worth of human beings and the intrinsic value of life. And right. Um, as our founding father says, uh, you know, these, these rules are self-evident or these ideas are self-evident. And so, I just think that people are going to manipulate these tools. And so there's a different kind of arms race. How do we protect ourselves while we exploit this for our benefit? How do we protect ourselves from those who would use it to exploit us? And it's, it's just the way of the world. I mean, every innovation, whether it was the uh, industrial revolution or energy revolution or pick one up and down throughout history, civilizations have risen or fallen, how they adopt and how they have access to the innovations around them. So I personally am uh, modestly uh, optimistic about the way that it can benefit us in every way that we've discussed and probably many more. But I am also trying to pay attention to the people who are, you know, sounding the siren bell, be careful of the unintended consequences of these tools or how it may be weaponized against us. I, I just think we're just, we're trying to figure it out. And with all the chaos of data, right now and by data i mean news or feed information sources we're at a point in history where most most people aren't sure they trust the sources of information that they're getting their level of bias and and so we're you know some people are overreacting some people are ignoring altogether some of the warnings or some of the tools it's just a it's a hot interesting chaotic time and um you know it's the time that we're made for yeah we just I think there's some beauty to it in the sense that a couple things I think will happen as the technology advances and you know layoffs start to happen and uh, industries consolidate humans. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it'll put an emphasis on in-person activities. For sure, it'll put a heavier emphasis on relationships and, and trust and all of that. But before we go down that rabbit hole, did you yeah. see Italy tried to ban it or they banned it? I did see that, and a number yeah. of schools in the U.S. Um, oh, really? Which I think is a fool's errand. Yeah, yeah. We just have to keep building. If you understand the nature of computers enough to understand that there's there's no stopping it, then the only logical path forward is to just build a better version of it that good people control have access to or control. Yeah, and we when I say no, when you say no stopping it, I'm not thinking of that as fatalistic. Like there there's no stopping. There is no stopping. Um, short of us destroying ourselves, us continuing to innovate and iterate. Like that's just, it is, whether it was created in us, it's a 
evolutionary consequence, whatever it is, that is what we do. And so, but I, we've seen over and over and over, how are we going to stop, um, I don't, I don't know, uh, you know, pick an idea. When I was a kid, there was no way you could bring a beverage into the classroom. Like that is absolutely not going to happen. Today, um, they have vending machines in the classroom. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> and so they just embrace it. The battle was so not worth it. And it's become such a non issue now. Uh, there are still rules within the classroom, et cetera. I mean, just over and over and over, these cultural things of um, ease of access and all these other things as cultural changes and as um, uh, whether it's a electronic tool that we're talking about, technology tool, or it's a physical thing around us. I, I just don't, um, I think that it's more a matter of guiding and directing and shaping than trying to ban. Banning just is, it's never going to work. I think it's a waste of time. Yeah. It makes me want to do it more. <laughs> yeah, many times it does. Yeah. You know, it's the, it just is, which is not to say there shouldn't be any rules. There shouldn't, we had Kendall Hartley on who's, um, research is, he's a professor at UNLV, and his research is the impact of technology on learning. And it's, there's some really significant negative consequences of technology, in particular the smartphone, with minds that are still being developed and in learning. He's, we're not advocating that there aren't rules and there aren't boundaries, but to say to, um, to a, a nation or a school or a community that this tool is forbidden, you are, you're, you're challenging the status quo or you're challenging the people within that community um, to attempt to overcome it. And they always will. They always do. And so uh, I just don't think it's going to accomplish anything. He's more interested in helping direct them into how do we teach critical thinking? How do we teach how we use this tool? He gave a beautiful example of ChatGPT where he has a student who's just a genius, brilliant person, but comes from a background of um, uh, a, a very challenging personal background. So doesn't have a great lexicon, doesn't have um, a lot of confidence in, in expressing themselves. They understand the content. They just don't have a great skill. And I think if this is in the area of physics. I don't remember exactly, but they don't have great skill in articulating their thoughts. So they write all their thoughts out. They go to chat GPT and say, hey, can you help me formulate this into a paragraph or two to express myself? So when they, when they come under review, panel review by other educators, they absolutely can articulate and explain their knowledge of the material or whatever. But this gives them confidence to stand in front of the group and give a brief summary of their opinion or their idea. It's a, it's an amazing, it's obvious upon questioning, they know the content, but it helps them, it helps bridge this gap that they didn't grow up with uh, in learning to express themselves. And it's an amazing application of the, uh, of the tool. And so schools will learn how to adapt. I don't think they'll have a choice on how these tools are used in learning, but they'll for sure be used in learning. What are some of the negatives? Because I don't see them immediately. With that professor guy who was talking about how technology or smartphones has negatively impact learning. Well, one of the things is so um, again, I think I don't want to put words in uh, Dr. Hartley's mouth, we but will. my impression yeah. is, <laughs> in particular, smartphones. Like he, he is less concerned about these tools than twenty years in or fifteen years into smartphone 
the mental health crisis that they see. He was a high school teacher many years ago, a few decades ago, 25, 30 years ago before he was a college professor. And as smartphones have come into the classroom, it's shifted behavior a number of ways. One, there's a mental health component. I'm not qualified to talk about that, but there's a significant mental health component because as you know, I know you've talked about this and probably studied this yourself. We're basically in a like war. In fact, there's a book out there that's a pretty amazing called Like Wars. And it's we we as human beings were conditioned for the like. And so students in particular, teenage students specifically, when their phone vibrates, their phone dings, their phone whatever, whether it's a parent, whether it's another student or whatever, it causes a disruption and they will well, just turn it off. That doesn't work, drives them to distraction and not have this thing that they're addicted to. The cheating that happens so quickly. So I just took my test. I take a picture of it really quickly. I can disseminate that in just moments. The work that it used to take me to distribute uh, cheating tools, and he goes through a number of things, in was a lot more work. It's kind of like we had no such thing as plagiarism from the Greeks until the printing press, because there's no way to monetize your ideas. In fact, a lot of the Greek philosophers loved it if you took their words and made it your own. That's how they could learn, live on in per, uh, you know, perpetuity. When the printing press came along and you could monetize it and take somebody else's work and, and you get credit for it, you benefit off of their work, well, now plagiarism came into the scene. In the same way, some of these tools are a, the the impact that they've that he has seen from a mental health, from a um, personal integrity, from a distraction, and the ability to really do critical thinking for long periods of time has his research. It's not just his, his anecdotal opinion. Uh, his research over the last twenty years of this has shown across the globe, not just the U.S., the consequences of these tools without guardrails. Now that was primarily for the early adapters. People that have eight-year-olds or seven-year-olds or 15-year-olds with these tools have much stronger control over them now because they have much more awareness of the risk and the applications and how we use them. But for that first 10 years, it didn't exist. And so that's what he means. He's not stop technology. He's just saying these, these things roll in and they can impact in particular, the most vulnerable among us, young people whose brains are still being developed and they're, they're in this very um, sort of social context that influences how they behave and you know almost uh, um, just this very strong emotional response. It's really pretty interesting. I hadn't thought about it before, but it was a compelling discussion. 